Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Hey, hey, guess what? Hey, it's not graduation Sunday, okay? I get to be here with you today. And it's not where, you know, this is not, this is not a, a repeat, so don't change like the station. You clicked on the right video. Uh, I get to be here this morning, and I'm extremely excited about it. And uh, before we are <clears throat> dive into the message, I just want to share a few things uh, of what's happening, at least in the ministries that I'm specifically involved in. Uh, men's ministry, just a great announcement for all of our guys at City Church. Uh, this coming Friday on July 31st, we're going to be hosting the Friday night session of Promise Keepers right here in this building, uh, right here in this room at City Church Central. Um, as, of course, we know because of what's happening in the country, um, Promise Keepers couldn't happen. It's a, this wonderful conference that happens every year, gathers millions of men from around the world. And because of what's going on, they cannot do it live. So they have offered it free to everybody online. So we're going to take advantage of that. And I would like to personally invite every man at City Church to meet us here this Friday night at 6 o'clock for that Friday night session for a time of worship and hearing wonderful speakers and a time for us to be together. But I also want to announce and just be very excited about the fact that Reach Youth Ministry, we are back. We are absolutely back. We have been meeting for two weeks now. We are meeting on Sunday nights. Last week, we did this awesome little thing. We just went to putt-putt and just played around, uh, just hung out. And we kept our distance, and we had the mass and everything, but we were able to come back together. And even last night, we were tubing the Ravana River. And uh, we just have a whole bunch of things that are happening and just going out and having some fun. But we're also meeting every Wednesday for a Zoom meeting at, at 2 p.m. as we go through a Bible study. We've been walking through the book of Deuteronomy, which has been amazing uh, for us. We also put out a podcast every Friday night for our students to keep Keep up with their devotionals. But something that I'm very excited about is that one of our high school girl leaders, uh, her name is Mara Zadar, has kicked off a high school girl small group that meets every Friday night from 6 to 8 right here at City Church Central. So all the teenagers that are watching this right now, we are back and we'd love to see you all get involved and jump back in. And if you want to jump in tonight, we'll be at Core Brothers at 6.30 just for a time of fellowship and hanging out. And we're going to invite all middle school and high school uh, students to come to that. But also any parents that want to come hang out, get to know me a little bit more, get to know some of our leaders, we want to encourage you to stay with us and, and, and come hang out with us. Um, so that's that, okay? Uh, that's it. I'm done there, all right? Uh, let's dive in today into the topic. Now, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is absolutely amazing. I love this portion of Scripture. Uh, as Pete was going to be out today, he needed somebody to fill in, and I absolutely just jumped at the chance to, to get in here because our youth ministry was actually going through the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of the year, but because of the shutdown, we couldn't finish. I preached the Sermon on the Mount at our graduation ser uh, service a few months ago. So I have been living in this passage for quite some time, and it is phenomenal. It is full. It is rich. And you know, even an eight-week series couldn't do it justice. There's so much imagery here that we have to dive in <clears throat> and so much appli application here. It is just such an amazing, amazing passage. So I'm excited to be here with you today <clears throat> to talk about our text, which is going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, which says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, as Pastor Pete kicked off this sermon series two weeks ago, let us just have a little bit of a recap to make sure we understand where we're at. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, we see Jesus is walking throughout the Galilee. He is beginning his earthly ministry, and he is going into the synagogues, and he's teaching, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's healing the sick. He's healing the disease. He's healing people of pain. He's healing the demon-possessed, seizures, paralyzed. He's doing these miracles. And news of him is beginning to spread all over the region. And large crowds, both Jew and Gentile, begin to follow him. Because we have to remember where Jesus is in this part of the Sea of Galilee. He's not only on the, the Jewish side, but right across the sea, not too far away, is actually the pagan side of the sea. And all the people who are hearing of this person who can do miracles are crossing the sea. And they're coming around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And they want to see and they want to hear who this man is. So Jesus is pulling in crowds of Jew and Gentile alike. And he goes up on top of a hillside. He calls his disciples to him. And he begins preaching and teaching, talking to the entire crowd. As Pastor Pete taught us a few weeks ago, when we're looking at the scene of Jesus' life, what we're actually seeing is that Matthew, the Gospel's writer, is mapping over the story of Exodus, specifically the law that was given to Moses. In that scene in the Exodus, we see God that is building a new nation, something that the earth had never seen before. So Jesus, in a like manner, has come out of the wilderness. He's come out of the testing time. He's now announcing a new kingdom that would be unique and be different. And Jesus is using language here that the Jewish people would understand. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you would find that Jesus is using the law and scriptures to preach this message. He's using imagery they would identify with, but what he's doing is in fact changing its interpretation, its application, and its meaning. So what Jesus is saying here to his Jewish hearers is not a mystery. Salt and light are common illustrations to the ears of the Israelites. It's straight from the Older Testament. And in fact, it is one of their truest and greatest callings. See, God has been working the idea of salt and light before Jesus even showed up. And if we can just trace through the Older Testament, if you'll just give me two or three minutes to trace through the Older Testament, I want to show you today where we get this idea of salt and light because I believe it is key for us understanding what Jesus is trying to tell his audience. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we see this. The Lord has said to Abraham, leave your country and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now what we have to understand here is this is not anything that Abraham has done to deserve this blessing. There is no merit on his behalf that God chose him. God simply called out to him, chose him, and called him forth so that the world would begin to take notice. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, this small nation would begin to form. God's chosen people, chosen to be a living advertisement to those in the world of who God is and what relationship with him is like. As you track through the Older Testament, 
especially through the law of Moses, especially through the covenant given to Moses and given to Abraham, you will see that as Israel's living up to their covenant, the entire nation, as they were living up to the laws of God, as they were loving God, as they were following him, nations around them would take notice and they would begin to bless and realize that there is only one God and he lives in Israel. We see this in Joshua chapter two with the story of Rahab. Rahab who realizes that the living God is walking with the Israelites. It's fun to think about because maybe at this point in time, the news of what happened in the Exodus story has reached Canaan. The miracles that God had done in Egypt began spreading all over the world. And all of a sudden, the miracles of this wandering nation and the God who goes before them is on Rahab's doorstep. And she realizes that the only salvation she has for herself and her family is to surrender to this God and compel him to mercy. And she does. So successfully that Rahab actually becomes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. We see it in Solomon's kingdom. Rulers from all other nations would come to him for wisdom, for guidance. They would offer this king mass amounts of wealth because they realize there's something different in him, even with all his faults, and something different in how this nation worshiped and served their God and how their God blessed them and caused this small nation, which seems so insignificant, to have such a massive impact in the world. You know, one of my favorite lines in all of the Older Testament is when we see the story of Naaman, but, but my favorite part of where this line is used is actually in the story of David versus Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 46, the young shepherd boy declares victory over the giant before it even happens. And it's just for, for me to summarize a little bit, this, this 12-year-old boy stands in front of a 10-foot giant who's a warrior from birth. He looks him dead in the eye and he says, you're going down. And here's why. That the world may know, this is my favorite line, that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. The law of Moses, the 10 commandments are the sorts that the world has never seen. A people who would love God for who he is and not simply for what he can provide. Having relationship with him that is not based on a bargain of servitude. You know, in the ancient Near East, as, as Pastor Pete was talking about the story of Naaman last week, he, he began diving into the customs and practices of the people then, especially with Naaman taking land from Israel back to his hometown so that he could appropriately worship God. But in the ancient Near East, if you've ever studied this, people believed that their offerings and their sacrifices to their gods actually strengthened and supplied the gods with everything that they need in order that they could do their divine duties. Simply put, as human beings serve gods, the gods would then turn and serve them. But what we read throughout scripture, even when we go to the Newer Testament with Paul's words in Acts 26, the God of Israel has no needs and he's not served by human hands, yet he interacts with his people because of his love for them and his desire to be with them. This is unheard of in the ancient world. This is completely different. Now, even in the tragic history of Israelite nation, we know that they didn't live up to the commands of God. We know that they had times where they had fallen and they, be, they come under judgment and they become under persecution. They would become under the thumb of oppression. In fact, when we read the scriptures right here, when we read about salt and light, that's where the nation of Israel is right now, under the oppression of the Roman Empire. But even in their persecution, even in their exile, 
the Jewish people were still a light to the world as they began changing their hearts and coming back to the Lord. God actually increased them in their exile. He caused their nation to grow and to flourish. Think for a second of the story of Daniel. Four men in the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel himself. We know this story. We've heard these since we were kids. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bend the knee to a foreign and false god. So they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And what happens? Someone appears as the son of God and saves them from the fire. In fact, one of my favorite lines in that story is this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knowing that their nation was not living up to the covenant that God has set before them, they look at, the, they look at Nebuchadnezzar in the face and they simply say these words, even if our God doesn't save us, we will not serve another. And then we look to Daniel himself. Daniel himself caught praying accused of breaking the king's commands, gets thrown into the lion's den where the angel of the Lord appears and miraculously shuts the mouths of the lions. You know, when you read that story, the punchline for me is when Nebuchadnezzar finally has enough. He sees the actions of God and Nebuchadnezzar, a foreign king, stands before his own people and says, I now know there is no God but the God of Israel. If we look at Isaiah who gives us this beautiful picture of the Messiah and the coming kingdom. Isaiah writes these words in chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> he says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Israel was called to be salt and light, and the peoples of the kingdoms of the world would watch them and be compelled to come to the Lord. As we see Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, the language of salt and light is not new to his hearers, although it would take a completely different form. Israel as a nation was a fixed point. It was a fixed kingdom. The people at this time believed that their blessedness and their ability to, to shape the world came from their kingdom being established in the land belonging to them. As I said before, at this point, the kingdom of Israel is under oppression. How can they be salt? How can they be light when the land wasn't even theirs? What I find fascinating about the scripture and what Pete pointed out last week is as he made the point so, so clear that at this moment, there are Jews and Gentiles standing together. And Pete made this point last week so clear, and I'll never forget it. He said, this is a group that you would never see in a million years standing together. Yet here they are, united under Christ. The Jews at this point in time had nothing but disdain for Gentiles. They hated Romans. They hated the Hellenistic world. They didn't want to be salt. They didn't want to be light. And even if they wanted to, how would they be able to do it? But Jesus comes to them and he challenges his hearers and he encourages them. And he says, no longer will the salt and light be contained to this land, be contained to Israel, but it is a message that will go with every believer, Jew and Gentile alike, to every corner of the world. It would go with them daily. Their lives would be a testimony to the truth of Christ. And by their deeds, by their efforts to live a life of faith, 
their efforts to share the good news, their efforts to love their neighborhoods and their communities, they would have an impact on the world as they lived in, as salt and light. And the world would take notice, notice and acknowledge the Father in heaven, that world to praise your Father up in heaven, where it says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify or praise your Father. That simply means to acknowledge that they would now live a life of faith characterized by the change in their life that Christ would bring. And because of their example, because of their effort, the world would now acknowledge the Father. Salt and light no longer contained, no longer restrained, but called to go forth boldly into the world. And Jesus is declaring this new kingdom and what its citizens would look like. He boldly tells them that you now have a mandate and a responsibility to go into the world and be salt and to be light. Let's look at the two illustrations that Jesus gave us here. Let's take a look deeper at what salt and light actually is. If we look at salt, which is beginning in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt was extremely valuable in Jesus' day. Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. We get the word salary from the word salt. Have you ever heard the saying before, a person is worth his or her salt, or a person is not worth their salt? That's what it comes from. That if you worked hard, if, if you were up to the task of the day, you would be rewarded with salt. You are a person who is worth your salt. Salt was a, spe a special commodity in Jesus' day. And many times it was very expensive and very hard to come by. It had two purposes. One, that it was seasoning. Salt would change the flavor of everything it touches. It gives taste. Jesus is pointing out to us that we give the taste of the Lord to the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? We can give the flavor of God where we're at. Just the right amount of salt makes everything better. It enhances the flavor. So let's think about this for a second. If we are a people of faith, if we are a people of salt, if we are living for Christ, then our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities should be full of the flavor of God. Let's go back even for a moment. Let's go back to, to Christianity 101 if we can. Think of the message that you carry. Think of the hope that's inside of you. The forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life. Think of the attitude that you would bring to your daily life because of who Christ is within you. Think of the joy you bring, the passion, the love, the, the, the exuberance. Why wouldn't everything that a Christian touches become better? Think of that message that you have. Every place we go should be seasoned with salt. The flavor and the taste of the Lord. Now, as we read this passage in context, we know, I believe, specifically Jesus is talking about the application of salt as a preservative. They would use salt in Jesus' day to keep meat from rotting. It was used to pack meat, that they could save it, they could use it later. And as we think about that for a moment, we think about the preserving nature of Christians within this world. For all the good that is in this world, for all the beauty that is in this world, for all the good things that we see in this world, this world does have a final destination. This world is 
gone. It's, it's dead in sin. It's lost. It will be destroyed at one point in time. This world is headed for a final destination, but because of Christ's followers within it, because of that preserving nature we have, I have to believe that we slow that process down and we give people the, the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. Let's look at light. I believe as people, we, we're kind of obsessed with light, aren't we? I mean, it's true. How many of you have been watching Haley's Comet, or at least trying to see it? If you, would you go out at least once to see it? I know I did. For the past couple weeks, I've been going out pretty much every night with my kids. The Big Dipper sets right in front of my house. And as I go out every night, we're like, okay, let's see this comet. Let's see this thing go by. Let's check it out. But then we end up just sitting out there and looking at all the stars and, and checking them out. We love looking at stars. Or, or, or this, or every Christmas I pull the dad card and I tell my kids, jump in the car. We're going to drive around and we're going to go see the lights. We do that, right? I mean, every concert I've been to for the past 20 years, it's half music and half light show. It's attractive. But again, in dealing with the light of what Jesus is telling us here, just like the salt, when he talks about light, he's talking about the value of the light. See, in Jesus' day in the homes, there would be a lampstand, and typically on that stand, there would be one small lamp, a tiny little oil lamp that would give out the smallest little bit of light. Oil was expensive in Jesus' day. You didn't let it burn without purpose. You didn't light a lamp and then stick it in the corner of the house. You didn't light the lamp or you didn't put it on, and you didn't put it under a bowl. That was a, an extreme waste. When people would light a lamp, they would put it where it would do the most good, where the light would touch as much of the house as possible, where it would light up the entire room. It was lifted high so that it would give light. It was never hidden. The light was there to illuminate. As persons of faith who live out our calling and our walk with Christ, church, we illuminate the world to the goodness of God. We shed light on the sinfulness of this world and in fact where it is heading and we flash a light as a warning to those of the dangers of this world and, and we give people an opportunity to see who God is and respond to this light. And I can't help but think how much of a great compliment this is to Christians and people of faith. Let's think about this for a moment. Jesus himself took on the name, the light of the world. That was a title that he proudly carried throughout his life here on earth. And yet Jesus takes that title and he flips it to his hearers and he says, you, you are also the light of the world. And this responsibility is on your shoulders. Jesus encourages his, hear, hear, his hearers. He blesses them. But as Jesus always does, as he builds us up, he also tells us the truth. And he simply says, you're either going to let that light shine or you're not. There's no in between. You are either going to be salty or you will be thrown out. And this is the reality that we have to face when we read and we examine these scriptures. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, are we going to live up to our purpose? Are we going to live to the calling that we have? You know, something I find very fascinating about salt and light and how they were used in Jesus' day 
and what is revealed to us here. And I'll ask everyone to, to listen closely. Salt was precious in Jesus' day. It was not wasted or thrown about carelessly. It had a place. It had a purpose. It was used with great intent. It was bought with a price. It was not something used carelessly if it was still salty. Light was precious. It was expensive. The lamp was not lit and just placed anywhere, but it was put in its place where it would do the most good. It was strategically placed within the house where it would have the greatest impact. You as a believer are precious to this world. The first thing that the Lord is telling us here is as a believer, as someone who belongs to him, you are precious to him. As salt and light, you were expensive. You were bought with a light, with a, with, a, with a price. He will not waste you. And you are placed by God to do the most good. You know, one of my favorite stories is being a youth pastor at City Church for so long. One of my favorite stories that I, I tell is a few years ago, we were heading to Nicaragua for, for a mission trip and we worked with a, a, a group called Ebenezer International and they were building a, a, a school and a community um, in a little town called Los Brasiles and our youth group got to partner with them and go and help build the school. It's one of the things that I am most proud of uh, as a youth pastor because our students got to get in on the ground floor. And actually, I just talked to the, 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 the person who began uh, Ebenezer International. His name is Alex Galliano. I talked to him this week, and he was just sharing with me this week how big the school has gotten, how the church has just exploded. And, and, the, and even in this pandemic time, the school is still going forward, and they're still feeding hundreds of children in that community. And as he was telling me that, I, I you know, had a moment of just pride where I was like, man, that is so awesome. And our youth group got to be a part of that. It was so phenomenal. But one particular trip when we went down there, there was a young lady who went with us. And she was so excited to be on this trip. From the moment we boarded the van here at City Church Central and we went up to Dulles, she was, just ex she was excited and happy and very chatty. And just, you could just see this, this joy and this excitement in her life to go on this trip. And as soon as we stepped foot off the plane, this young woman went straight to work. Whether we were doing the work of the day or, and, and, and having to be about our business and you're sweating in this 100 degree heat, she was so happy, had a smile on her face and she was just enjoying it. And when we would hang out with the church, she was on the front row worshiping and praying and just getting involved. And when we were at the school, this young lady just loved these children and she would go and play games with them and, and, and they would teach her games and she would just eat lunch with them and hang out. And it was just so impressive to see her heart just open up. This, this girl just came right out of her shell and became almost like a completely different person on this trip. And it was phenomenal to see how God was using her. And I was so proud of what she was doing. And I even told her during the week, I was like, man, you are really like come into life here. It's amazing to see what God is doing in your life. And she was just having a phenomenal week. And what we would do at the end of every day is we would have dinner and then we'd have devotional and we'd have a prayer time. And the night before we were supposed to leave, we had a devotional, but I could see on her face, she was thinking about something. So I walked over to her and I simply just said, hey, you know what? I want to tell you again, you are doing a phenomenal job this week. You're such a blessing to the team, to the people, like, this has been so cool to see God work through you. And she was like, that, that's awesome, that's great, but I just, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And I said, well, what do you mean? What, what, what's happening? 
And she said, well, first of all, I don't speak the language. And I was like, none of us do. Like, none of us speak the language. We're all doing the best we can, communicating with the broken Spanish that we have in sign language and just having fun. It was like, we all are there. You're not alone in that. She goes, no, but you're, you're not getting me. Like, I can't speak to them. And I was like, I was like, okay. And she goes, well, and the other thing is, I, like, I don't understand their culture. I'm trying to understand it, but I'm trying to figure out how can I understand their culture a little bit better so I can, so I can share Christ and really get in there. And as we were just talking, those two things kept coming up over and over again. I don't speak the language. I don't share the culture. I don't speak the language. I don't share the culture. And this was really bugging her. And she said, I wish I spoke the language. I wish I understood the culture. Because if I did, I could share my faith with these people. And I know, I know many of them would come to Christ. She had that confidence, that vision. And as she said those words, I kind of just was like, all right, hold on a second. Let's think about this. But you know, like you have those moments where you want to say something, the Lord kind of like shut your mouth. And it's like, you know, just be quiet for a little bit. Don't stick your foot in your mouth like you normally do. Just be quiet and let her marinate on this a little bit. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll let her marinate on this. Um, but if you want me to speak, I feel like you, I got something to say to her. But if you want me to say it, then you provide the opportunity and I'll speak to her and, and, and we'll say it. And it, it was like... It, the next day as we boarded our flight to, to come back home, it was like that scene out of a movie, right? Where you're, you're walking down the, the aisle of the plane and you're looking at your ticket and you're trying to find your seat and you look at the ticket and you find your seat and then you lower it and that person is sitting right there. I got on that plane, I found my seat and I looked and there she is sitting right in the middle. I was like, oh, we got four hours together. This is gonna be fun. We're gonna talk. This is gonna be great. And about an hour into the flight, I kind of leaned into her and I said, hey, you know, Last night you, you were talking, saying something. I was like, what did the Lord speak to you? And the same thing came out. Man, if I just spoke the language, if I just understood the culture, I could share. And I know that they would believe. And I was like, that's awesome. And I'm really proud of you. But can I just, can I give you something to think about for a second? She said, okay. I said, look. Do you find it a little ironic that we are now flying home to a place where you speak the language, you understand the culture, and you know how to share your faith, and people are listening? Do you find it ironic that you have the heart and passion? When is the last time you ever shared your faith with your friends? And she got real quiet. And I could see the Lord working. And I said, look, I'm not dissuading you. And I'm not trying to deflate you. But I want to encourage you. Think about this. You speak the language. You know the culture. You know how to share your faith with the people that you're around. You know how to be salt. You know how to be light. Are you going to allow the Lord to use you to reach the lives that are around you? Will you go home? Will you get off the plane at Dulles? Will you come back to Charlottesville with the same mindset? I know the language. I know the culture. I know if I just speak, if I just share, I know there are people in my life who will come to faith in Christ. If you have that confidence, if you have that vision, I guarantee the Lord will move in your life. 
And that young lady took that to heart because I watched her over the next few years that she was in reach before she graduated. I watched the Lord absolutely transform the lives of the people around her. I watched her as she brought her friend, friends one right after another into reach. I watched her as she began diving into the word. I watched her as she began leaning more on the Holy Spirit in her daily life so that every day as she walked the hallways of her school, as she lived at home, as she was out with her friends, I watched her become salt and light. I watched her grab the vision that Jesus was sharing with his people here. I watched her take this to heart and become salt and light to the world around her. And the most amazing thing, I watched her friends respond. Church, we have everything we need to be salt and light. Are we going to live in our purpose? And one of the things I find fascinating about this scripture is that Jesus stood on a hillside in a backwater and despised province of the Roman Empire, talking to at most a few hundred people, specifically the 12 men that he chosen to be his disciples. And he looks at them and he gives them a big vision. He said, Look at this hillside. Look who's here. 12 as the Bible says, unschooled and ordinary men, a handful of Jewish people who are looking for a new kingdom, and Gentiles who were supposed to be the light to, and we're all together. And Jesus looks at a crowd, as Pastor Pete again said last week, a crowd that you would never see together in a million years. Jesus looks at them, and he gives them a big vision. He says, be salt, be light, change the world. One of the things I love about this passage is that Jesus doesn't say, you are salt sometimes, or you're a little salty. He doesn't say, you are a light. That's more like a dimmer switch. You can crank it up when you want. You can bring it down when you want, depending on where you're at. No. He looks at this crowd and he says, if you follow me, you are salt. You are light. And you will change the world. That challenge falls to us today, City Church. Be salt, be light in your homes, in your community, in our city, and in this world. God bless you, City Church.